The Nourish and Shine podcast is provided for educational and informational purposes only, and it is not medical, mental health, or healthcare advice. The information presented here is not intended to diagnose, treat, heal, cure, or prevent any illness, medical condition, or mental or emotional condition. Please make sure you consult with a trusted healthcare professional before you make any changes. Welcome to Nourish and Shine, where I talk with passionate leaders in the fields of nutrition, functional and integrative medicine, and wellness, providing inspiration and practical advice to nourish your mind, body, and spirit, optimize your health, and live a whole vibrant life starting now. I'm so excited to have my friend, Dr. Amanda Corbett, back on the show today. Please check out the show notes for her full bio, but I have to tell you, Amanda is an amazing person and involved in so much, but she is really an expert on dietary supplements, and that's what we're diving into today. So we're going to talk about really what are dietary supplements, a few key approaches to consider when using dietary supplements, also when it actually makes sense to supplement. We're also going to dive into a little bit of aerial yoga and talk through a couple other approaches to integrative health and wellness. So I hope you really enjoy this episode. And if you do, please leave me a ratings or review on iTunes. Welcome to Nourish and Shine. Today, I have Amanda Corbett. She is the Assistant Dean of Professional Curriculum and Clinical Associate Professor professor at the UNC Eshelman School of Pharmacy. Welcome back, Amanda. Thanks for being with me. Great. Thanks, Amy. It's great to be here. I'm so excited to have you back. And today we're going to dive a little deeper into dietary supplements. So the last time you were on, we talked about CBD. So if you guys missed that, definitely go back and listen. It's such a good episode. Um, But today we wanted to get into another one of your specialty areas, which is dietary supplements. But for the people who missed it, can you first tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure, no problem. Um, So as Amy said, I'm a faculty member at the UNC School of Pharmacy here in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. So I've been here, wow, almost 20 years now um, as an academician. And I was in clinical practice um, in HIV for about 15 years. Um, I do research as well um, and do a lot of teaching. And my interest in integrative health and medicine began, wow, over over a decade ago, uh, mostly with mind-body practice with Reiki and uh, yoga. So I became certified in both of those and then became um, very interested in dietary supplements, including herbal medicine, and reached out to uh, Dr. Taroni Lodog, who I'm sure many of you know, um, and began training with her um, almost eight years ago. And with that journey was directed to the Academy of Integrative Health and Medicine and just finished um, a fellowship program along with Amy um, and at AIHM and uh, really was able to expand my interest and knowledge in integrative health from there. And then at the School of Pharmacy with my job, it just seemed to make a lot of sense to focus in on dietary supplements because our pharmacy students, as well as many other students and professionals, um, I feel really need to know um, about dietary supplements, because as many of you know, you know, over 30 million Americans on um, any given year use some sort of dietary supplement. And some of that is in combination with medication. So 
that's a very brief discussion, I guess, of my journey. And um, it's always a journey I'm continuing to learn, as well as trying to teach really those in the community, including healthcare professionals and um, lay people about um, integrative health and specifically about dietary supplements. I think you're doing amazing work. And one of the things I think we should start is just laying the groundwork. Like, what are dietary supplements? Like, what's included in that category? Um, and how are they kind of defined and regulated? Um, it's really good to, you know, before delving into dietary supplements in general, thinking about how they came about. So from a sort of regulatory standpoint, dietary supplements, you can think of as in... Um, really multiple categories. So I think of them as either vitamins, so much of, I'm sure many of you understand vitamins. So, you know, B vitamins, C, A, D, E, K, um, and then minerals. So minerals like magnesium, phosphorus, calcium, et cetera. And then there's this really broad category of non-vitamin, uh, non-minerals, which includes things like herbal or plant-based products. And, you know, the reason why that category um, is named non-vitamin, non-minerals is because we know there's dietary supplements that don't fit as a plant-based product. So for example, glucosamine or fish oil, um, you know, obviously doesn't come from a plant, but they're also not vitamins or minerals. So there's a sort of larger category of what those are. Um, and, and really that all comes down from definitions provided and legislation from the FDA, which there's lots of legislation, but the big one that really helped define dietary supplements was the Deshay Act in 1994, which you could read about in more detail online. Um, but that really established the start of um, a definition around dietary supplements. I'm always amazed by how many people are using them that don't necessarily report their use too. So yeah. I even think like the greater than 30 million Americans, you know, like don't even realize they count, right? <laughs> or at least when they're yeah. pharmacist or their medical provider. Oh, I think those things are so important. And as pharmacists, one of the things we think about is drug interactions. What are some of the approaches you use, like when you're thinking about using dietary supplements or working with people who are interested in dietary supplements? So when I had a clinical practice, we'd have, you know, patients come in and my practice again was in HIV. So they may come in with already taking dietary supplements, for example, and they may be taking, you know, a lot, even a bag full of dietary supplements oftentimes. So there's sort of that category of individuals that have, you know, are already taking them and then perhaps individuals that just have an interest in taking dietary supplements. And so I think that approach might be a little bit different depending on those two populations. But let's say there's an individual who does come in, is taking multiple dietary supplements, really my, I sort of have a, an approach of, for one, you know, looking at, are they also on other prescription medications, for example, um, because as Amy mentioned, we know there is a risk for herb drug interactions. And as a pharmacist, I'm very mindful of trying to prevent those from happening. So, you know, really getting a thorough medication history and then also asking the individual, you know, of these dietary supplements, what, what in your mind are you taking these for? And what, what sort of benefit do you see from those? That is such an important question. And oftentimes we ask, 
And it's like, well, I saw it on Dr. Oz or I saw it on Oprah or, you know, like I read in a magazine that it's good for just overall health. You know, oftentimes, especially when people are on a large number of supplements, exactly what you said. I heard it on Dr. Oz or Oprah, or I don't know, I've just heard from a friend, this might make me feel better. And, you know, I think truly the approach is trying to break that down and and see in their mind why they're taking it. And do they see a benefit? You know, even if there's not randomized controlled trials on a dietary supplement for a specific indication, you know, you have to sort of weigh the benefits and risks. And if individuals feel this is helpful to them, then that's, you know, really a conversation where you, you truly have to approach it with an open mind and try to support the patient from there. Starting like one at a time versus a whole bunch of things at one time can be helpful to measure the effect because mm-hmm. a lot of times people are like, well, how do I know if it's working? Having that intention going into starting something new that you're going to pay attention and kind of monitor where you're at. And having kind of a time frame, like if I'm not feeling better in six weeks or six months, then maybe it's a good time to stop it. And sometimes I feel like those dietary supplements get started and then just never stop. You know, that I think that also speaks, you know, around products and, you know, individuals that are taking products that have multiple, you know, ingredients in them or multiple um, dietary supplements within one product, it, it, it in itself is very difficult to determine, is it, you know, the combination of the four herbs that's helpful, or is it really just one of those herbs that's ideal for you as an individual? So, you know, ideally, I like exactly what you just described, starting slow and then seeing, you know, the improvement and how an individual might feel from there. That's a really good point about combination products too. They can be hard to know what exactly is working or if people are having problems with them, what's, what is causing the problem? That's always very challenging. And, you know, I think the, you know, the question of, you know, often people say, well, I'm taking this because I saw it or someone told me, I feel like that's most of where the combination products come into play. You know, if I was fortunate enough to run into a patient who had got a consultation with an integrative health practitioner. That's, of course, ideal and wonderful. And I would give them a call or shoot them an email and just have a conversation about what their approach is and how I can, you know, really support that patient in the Western allopathic way as they're coming into the clinic to help support their care. So I think, you know, that's sort of the idea of integrative health, right, is really utilizing those expertise and what we know is life-saving Western allopathic medicine, but also knowing there's also other ways to help support people's health. Um, what dietary supplements just being one of those, I would say. How do you work with people around selection and quality and safety? There's, you know, so many ways to approach this. Fortunately, we do have, I would say, some really good resources that are available um, to assess the quality of products. My favorite really product around selection of, or sorry, my favorite reference for selection of products is Consumer Lab. Um, it is an online resource. Um, it There is a small fee that you would pay annually. I want to say it's around $50 annually to have access to that database. Um, but this company, um, it's an independent company that actually takes different dietary supplement products and 
they uh, go through and analyze the products for the presence of, you know, any excipients that might be in there. So ensuring that there's no heavy metals or, you know, excess toxic components of the product. But they also look to see if what the manufacturer states on the label is actually what's in the product. And it's a pretty easy, um, it's a, a pretty easy data to, uh, to evaluate even from a consumer. So there's tables that are easily um, readable that will say, based on our criteria of assessment of this product, we approve it for use or not. It's pretty straightforward. Um, now, of course, they can't evaluate every dietary supplement that's on the market because there are so many. However, it does give you a, a good guidance on of the products, you know, of a specific product, which one might you recommend? I think the downside is that not only can they not um, analyze all products, but they, you know, of course, have a limited number of dietary supplements in which they can. Um, for which they report on. But I would say the major ones are available. So I would absolutely go to Consumer Lab to start for thinking about product selection specifically. Um, And then also from there, you know, often tell students and um, clients as well, is just to get to know the companies that make dietary supplements. Um, You can go visit them. I've visited lots of, you know, dietary supplement uh, manufacturers also talk to them at meetings. So I know that's kind of hard for consumers to do, but us as healthcare professionals could easily, you know, pick up the phone and chat with people, ask them, to, do they have certificates of analysis on their products? And as a third party, do those analyses. And then after a while, you can you know, get to know these companies and um, just sort of continue to go to those same product lines, at least as partly what what I do in practice as well. Being able to call the company and talk with somebody knowledgeable is in itself a good screening. (laughs) I believe all supplement manufacturers have to have contact information on their bottles. And I appreciate too, you know, the companies I work with, if I know there's a healthcare professional or someone who has studied dietary supplements or herbal medicine, it's even more um, beneficial for me to have conversations with those individuals because you're sort of on the same page about the vocabulary and you know, the questions you ask, they easily understand that what your questions are and are able to answer those. So those to me are also places that I recommend because I'll, you know, can easily pick up the phone or send an email or do a, you know, a chat online and they know explicitly what I'm asking about. And that's, I, I would say, you know, I know for, um, you know, for some healthcare professionals that aren't familiar with the utilization of dietary supplements, I think until you're able to really have those conversations and interact with manufacturers, it's difficult to really wrap your head around, are these products really what they say they are and are they legitimate or manufacturers just trying to make money and sell a product? You know, obviously there are companies like that out there. I, I do admit that, but there's also equally reputable manufacturers that really are out to to produce a good product. I love that you bring up consumer labs because that's something I teach all of my students who work with me. Like this is a wonderful resource and it's probably the one I use the most to be honest, because I do like how they share the information in a really kind of quick and easy way to understand it. And the charts are amazing. And I have to say though, the review on chocolate is the most depressing thing I've ever seen. (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm a chocolate lover. Apparently, most chocolate has cadmium in it, which like just oh great. no, so, yeah. But it's just interesting. Some of the stuff they review, like apple cider vinegar and chocolate and calcium and things. But to know like what sort of things to watch out for, like the heavy metals or various contaminants or quality issues, it's nice that it's very specific. And so even if you don't see the product you're using, you can often find like what questions you want to ask or what things you want to look for. I actually was able to meet the owner of Consumer Lab at a um, NIH Office of Dietary Supplements meeting. And it was it was just so enlightening to hear how he developed the company and then how really proud he is of, you know, what the product that they've produced and very humble, really nice guy. And, you know, seeing meeting and seeing those people in person is also supportive of whatever, you know, initiative they have. So I just encourage people to just reach out and and meet and talk to people. When it comes to like inactive ingredient supplements, what are some things that you're looking for? Oh, it's a great question. There's a couple of things to think about. So if individuals have any sort of allergies, you know, whether it's a nut allergy or soy allergy, allergies are so very common now. Um, even if it's not a, you know, hypersensitivity type reaction to a product, there's lots of, um, I can, this can get off on a tangent and I'll try not to, but there's a lot of um, IgG specific, you know, allergies that people have. So, and those are, are real. Um, I have family members that have those specific allergies. So I think for one, just looking, assuring that the product label identifies what excipients would be in there, inactive ingredients would be in there. And then also note, makes a note if there's any sort of inactive ingredients or if they're processed in facilities that, you know, would be come in contact with people that might have specific allergies, I think is really important. And also, you know, if you're vegetarian and you don't want a product that has an animal product in it as an inactive ingredient, um, I, I like to say that that's important to know as well. So being a vegetarian, that's important to me. And then you just, you know, weigh your benefits and risks and say, well, you know, that that's my choice, but it's good to know if they're going to, if it's a product that would have animal products in it. Um, you know, there's, there's so many inactive ingredients and products in all kinds of either, you know, supplements or as well as topical products. So, you know, it, it really depends on the individual as well. I'm, I'm, I'm a proponent of really no artificial anything, if at all possible, so no artificial colors, no artificial flavoring. Um, that's just a personal preference. Um, and I personally try to avoid any products that would have those inactive ingredients in them as well. Um, there's probably other things I'm, I'm not thinking about, but those are kind of, you know, some general places as well. And I love that you bring up avoiding the artificial ingredients because that's something we think about a lot in the food we eat and like the beverages we drink, but not necessarily what we're putting in as far as supplements or medications. And mm -hmm. I think that can be really important, especially like you said, if you're working with someone with like multiple sensitivities or like re food reactions. The thing recently that I was coming across was some of the food-based supplements when people have food intolerances being mindful about the ingredients. And I know, I would think of it just like, you know, you as an individual know 
what your sensitivities are. And I know at least for me with my son, I look at every single label, food label. So just regular food labels. And I would encourage people to do absolutely the same approach, dietary supplements, because I mean, they are dietary supplements. So I, I agree that that's equally important to make sure you know every single thing that's, that's actually in the product. And that's my biggest pet peeve with children's like over-the-counter products is there's so much junk in them. Like you need like red 40 and you know, like what? I I would not feed this to my children normally. Why would I give it to them in their medication when they're sick? Yeah. yeah. I know. It's so frustrating. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. As far as other kind of safety tips or things people should look for, like when looking for a quality supplement, do you have any other recommendations Mm -hmm. around that? Wow. There's so many things to think about. I think for one, and this is something I learned really early on from Taroni Lodog when I started working with her is, you know, labels are not easy to read as far as dosing and actually the concentration per se of what the dietary supplement is in that bottle or in that product. So if you as a consumer, definitely you, if healthcare professionals cannot look at a label and tell you specifically based on the dose that's recommended, what, or, or yeah, so based on the dose that's recommended, exactly how much of that dietary supplement is consumed, then it's really not beneficial to take that product. And so consumers as well, it's a little more tricky when you're talking about tinctures have a, a one to three or five concentration, but you really should be able to tell from that label what you're taking. So if it says, you know, for example, proprietary blend, it doesn't mean that that product is not a safe product or it's not beneficial. But if your approach is to use that dietary supplement for a therapeutic reason, and there's, you know, clinical data that shows, you know, X dose should result in X outcome, then you really want to know how much you're taking of that product. So Sometimes it's easier said than done. I try to teach that to the pharmacy students so that they can understand when they're looking at a label, how to recommend it to someone else, how much of that you should actually take. So to me, that's a a huge red flag to think about um, when you're looking at products specifically. That, you know, there's lots of other things. I don't know if you're suggesting things like herb drug interactions, um, but there's, there's a lot of other considerations as well. And I think the proprietary blend thing is really important. And you see that in kind of teas, like medicinal versus beverage teas as well, sometimes where like a beverage tea might just have, you know, all the things they have in it, but you have no idea how much where a medicinal tea will likely list out the quantity of um, the specific herb, how much of the herb went into it before they made the tincture or whatever, Mm -hmm. like what was the starting amount? Cause that can help you Mm -hmm. understand like what you're working with. (laughs) And I think that's true too. When you look at the raw herb, also knowing, and a really good product will tell you the source of the, so assuming it's an herbal plant-based product, it should also tell you from what part of the plant they took that raw herb from. So, you know, for example, kava should come from the root of the plant and the aerial parts or the above ground parts of kava are not appropriate. And in fact, there's been, this was many, many years ago, but there's been case reports of toxicities when kava uh, kava products use the root, but also use the aerial part of the plant. And so if you're using an inappropriate component of the plant, for one, it could have toxicities that we don't know about. 
And it also could just have no specific therapeutic use because we know that with most plants, we've been able to identify what component of the plant really has the active constituents of interest. And, you know, with that, there may be different parts of the plant that you would look for a product depending on what outcome you're looking for, right? So I know that gets really complex for a consumer, but at minimum, the product should tell you what component of the plant it came from. Depending on the part of the plant you're using, it's different indications. And so as a consumer, knowing exactly what you're looking for, if you're looking to treat something specific. And I think that's really the value in working with an integrative provider. Absolutely. So what other resources are out there for consumers that are kind of more like free resources that people could find online? I didn't want to forget a couple of resources as well that consumers is available to consumers, but you would have to purchase those. So natural medicines is a reference that's online. It's very comprehensive. Um, it, it is fairly complex to read, and it, but it's referenced as well. So you could reference and go find original papers. Um, Lexicomp Natural Products is another great resource that you do have to purchase. I would say between those two for a consumer, Lexicomp might be a little bit easier to interpret and the information's a little bit easier, but those are two very comprehensive, great resources that again, do cost money. Um, But some that would be available free of charge to consumers, um, one of which is the National, sorry, NIH Office of Dietary Supplements. They have a, a great database and Every time I look, it seems to have additional information. Definitely over the past many years, they have um, continued to provide a more robust database. Um, and I've, I've actually visited them and met the individuals at the Office of Dietary Supplements. They're very impressive, um, wonderful people, and really are out there to educate healthcare professionals and the public around dietary supplements. Um, Another database that I often recommend to consumers is Memorial Sloan Kettering's database. Um, I would say that's actually applicable to healthcare professionals as well. Um, The reason I would recommend it is it is a free reference as well. Um, Those are just two. There's National Center for Complementary and Integrative Health has its own resources. Um, that that those resources often or they are bigger than just dietary supplements. So I I often will say if someone comes to me a consumer and says what is integrative health and what does this even mean, I would send them to that website and I think it really provides a broad overview of integrative health in general. And then you can kind of dig down into dietary supplements by heading to the Office of Dietary Supplements, which is also part of the NIH. So um, lots, lots of great resources out there. A question that I always like to address with people is when does it make sense to supplement versus to change your diet or do other interventions? Something I have really thought about in the past decade, and especially through the fellowship program as well. My personal thoughts on this, and I would say a lot of the approach of integrative health practitioners is if you can optimize your health through what you eat, so your nutrition and how you move, your movement or exercise, I tend to call it movement instead of exercise. Sometimes exercise is intimidating for people. Um, But if you can, you know, just manage your health and optimize your health through those two approaches. And as well, I would sort of put 
you know, really self-care in there. So individuals think of self-care in different ways. It may not be movement or nutrition. Those are important. It may just mean I need to meditate or I need to be alone or I need to take a walk in nature. So forest bathing, for example. So to me, if you can, if you can utilize the things that you're doing every day anyway, or that you can optimize in a, in a more, you know, quote unquote, natural way, to me, that's absolutely ideal. You know, then I see dietary supplements and medications as well. I hate to say the, you know, the last resort because there, I, I think there are situations where, well, I know there are situations in my opinion and in, from others' opinions where medications are truly life-saving. And I would never recommend to someone, oh, let's just do acupuncture instead of treating your, you know, stage three lung cancer, for example. Um, you know, that, that's probably an exaggerated approach, but, you know, it really, de- it really determines, it really makes you think about the individual's approach and what they want. But for sure, there are chronic and acute um, conditions where medications are absolutely critical. So I'll make sure I put that out there. I'm not anti-medications. I just want to minimize um, medications as much as possible. And if individuals really don't need those, or if we can find some other way through nutrition and movement and self-care to, you know, take them off those medications, that's always great. Dietary supplements, I think are really tricky because, you know, I would say myself and my friends and family are all guilty of saying, oh, it will be just so much easier to take a dietary supplement than to try and change my, what I eat and how I move or, you know, my exercise. And, you know, I guess the way I approach it is depending on the severity of, let's say a vitamin or mineral um, deficiency, it may be, for example, that you need to supplement those for some period of time while you're working on your nutrition and your movement and your self-care along at the same time. But really to have some goals at the end to say, here's where I want to be. How am I going to get there? And let's work on this as a team to make sure we get there. And then eventually maybe you could stop that dietary supplement at some point. So I kind of think of that with vitamins and minerals in general. So I'm not opposed to vitamin D supplementation or, you know, calcium if needed, but also to know that there's ways, absolutely ways in your diet where you could get, get those as well. Um, I think herbs are a little trickier. My approach to herbal medications has mostly come from my learning from Taroni Lodog. And I, you know, I would say in general, you know, herbs were meant and the way that plants are grown really to supplement your health and to support your body to heal itself. So I would not say that herbs are out there to treat any sort of acute a, you know, really serious acute condition. So things like fever, cough and cold, um, you know, prevention of urinary tract infections, perhaps anxiety, you know, it really depends on the severity of what your condition might be. And I've also learned from her too, exactly what I'm describing of, you know, herbs have activity. We've shown that through science that herbs, you know, are active to me, I see herbs oftentimes just like I would see medications that they can be pharmacologically active. And to me, if I can minimize at all the utilization of herbal products or dietary supplements, but instead think about nutrition and movement and self-care, that's ideal. 
I realize, you know, that's not everyone feels the same way. So I think just educating people on, hey, here's one approach, utilizing dietary supplements and medications, but hey, let's think about how we might be able to use these other things, either at the same time or instead of dietary supplements. I like the saying, like you can't medicate or supplement your way out of a poor diet or lifestyle, basically. And I think that really holds true with this. Like it makes sense a lot of times that you may need a medication or you may need supplements for whatever reason. Um, one thing that comes to my mind is like during pregnancy or like preconception, um, and postpartum, like those are great times that people should probably be taking a multivitamin, right? Again, using supplements in a supportive nature. But I also feel like sometimes if people are taking a bag of supplements or a bag of medications, is there really that much difference Mm -hmm. when it comes down to it? You're still having to take something every single day. And you're taking a lot of those things. And, you know, could you get to the root cause or, uh, you know, address the underlying issue versus having to take something externally? Yeah, absolutely. And I think the one thing I didn't mention, I sort of tangentially mentioned is mind body approaches to care. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I said before, that's how I started in integrative health. I know a lot about medicines and treatment and, you know, allopathic approaches to care, but I, you know, until maybe 12 years ago, I probably knew very little about acupuncture and biofield energy approaches and yoga for health. I mean, there are so many opportunities for mind-body practices, Uh, meditation, you know, just very simple things that are really, there's, there's good data to show that they're supportive of, of health. Um, So I don't, I want to make sure we didn't forget those approaches as well. I love that. And I think that's so key. And one of the most underappreciated parts of health that we're starting to really see bubble up as more and more people are really struggling with mental health and anxiety and depression Mm -hmm. and like that social isolation. So let's talk about world of one. I've had this practice for several years now. And, um, truly uh, just recently, I'd say in the past six months, I have really been trying to organize myself to have an active practice. I do have a website, worldofone.global that has been revamped and has tried to really hone in on what I think I can most offer to individuals. And so within that, my focuses are, you know, one-on-one consultations And what I mean by that is it doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to solve all your problems, um, but to really help people understand, you know, from their medications, dietary supplements, mind-body approaches, you know, what recommendations could I make for them, but also utilizing my community of practitioners. I've been in this area for a long time, and I know a lot of folks in the community, really trying to connect Um, clients with people in the community that I know specialize in what, um, you know, based on evidence might be able to help them. So that's, you know, a big goal of that practice. I'm also beginning to venture out. um, Well, I I do this a lot as well for my job sort of crosses over within the company is to provide education to both healthcare practitioners, as well as to um, lay people or to patients on how they can use integrative health in their day-to-day life. And then for healthcare practitioners, just in, in some cases, just letting them know what integrative medicine is 
And here's some ways that you can, you know, approach individuals and try to help them utilize that. Um, also, I have an active um, yoga practice. I do teach um, aerial yoga once a week, which is a, a new sort of interest of mine. I've been practicing for about almost a year and a half now. Um, but that's also something that I do through World of One is aerial, aerial yoga. Um, I'm a certified yoga teacher for um, both uh, floor yoga as well as aerial yoga. So um, I provide private lessons, small group lessons um, on aerial yoga as well as uh, floor yoga. So that's a huge interest of mine. Um, the other sort of component of the company that hasn't necessarily gotten off the ground as much as I would like it to, but is looking at mind body purchase. I'm a Reiki master. I've done some other biofield energy training. I have done some practice with that, but I would like to really focus a little bit more um, on providing that to patients as well. Oh, I love that. You're doing so much great work. And I have to ask you a little bit more about aerial yoga. So I have experienced it and I really like it. It's super fun. But for people who aren't familiar with aerial yoga and are getting all sorts of crazy images in their mind right now, can you explain <laughs> a little bit about what aerial yoga involves? Oh, absolutely. Just like yoga on the floor, it sort of depends on where you go and where you practice it. But in general, aerial yoga is utilizing you know, if you've done yoga on the floor before, it's using similar sort of poses or asanas and, and that you would do on the floor, but you're utilizing a, a semi-stretchy uh, fabric that's in a loop. So it hangs pretty high. It's, it's in a loop and you utilize that fabric to assist you in your movement and your asanas. I think for me, the real, the, the interest for me was one, I love yoga in general. And then as I began to practice it, it was more out of curiosity, but I would say what I've learned the most about myself through aerial yoga practice is it provides, I feel like a really safe space with support to focus on um, or to think about or work through fears that you might have. And I thought that was just me that sort of felt that until I started talking to other aerial yoga um, people that do aerial yoga and they're like, Oh, absolutely. Because you're, you have a teacher who's experienced, you sort of use them as a guide, but you may be doing things that you would not necessarily do. Um, I mean, going upside down and hanging and doing flips, um, that sound kind of crazy, but they're really quite safe. If you know, if you have a good teacher and you're really focusing on the safety of your practice. So for me, I've been able to work through things that I thought my body would never do um, that I knew my body could do, but it was more the fear approach of, oh gosh, what if, you know, I slip and fall on my head, which is uh, like near impossible. Um, but in your mind, that's something, you know, you're trying to work through. So I encourage it for everyone, no matter what size you are, no matter if you've ever done yoga before, regardless, I think it's always um, something fun that most people enjoy. The one thing I remember the most from the few classes I've taken is at the end, the Shavasana with mm -hmm. kind of being in like the cocoon of the yeah. fling is so relaxing and being yeah. suspended and like cocooned in there was awesome. So it was a very yeah. nice way to relax. <laughs> yeah, it's lovely. I mean, it's once you understand that the hammock, the way it's hung and the way 
you know, the, the way it's built, you, you, it's not going to fall on the floor. And you're really only in most practices about, you know, hip, hip height off the floor anyway, for most of the aerial yoga practices. So, um, you know, it's, it's not as though you're 20 feet off the floor, like aerial silks are, which is another practice. Um, and then you're right at the end to be able to just lay there like in a big hammock suspended and, um, it's just so peaceful and relaxing. I've asked you this before, but I'll ask you again. Maybe your answer's changed. <laughs> what does the word nourish mean to you? Wow. I don't remember what I said last time, so we'll see. <laughs> um, I think nourish to me is really, and maybe this is just me for today, is is sort of thinking, taking care of yourself first. So, um, you know, all the things we've talked about in the, in the past time that we've chatted is making sure you, you know, love yourself, you appreciate yourself and you do that through, um, the best that you can through your nutrition, through your movement, through your self-care. Um, and you know, just saying that it's okay to have self-care and it's okay to take care of yourself. Um, because to me, if you're not able to you know, really take care of yourself and care about yourself as a person, it's really hard to be there for people around you, whether it's your family, friends, patients, uh, coworkers, whatever it might be. Um, so to me, ideally, that's what, that's what Nourish would be. I know people are going to want to connect with you. So we already mentioned your website um, and it's worldofone.global. And mm-hmm. what are, where will people find you online? If you go on there and click contact me, I'll get a direct email. I also have an email address that comes through that website, which is Amanda at worldofone.global. I'm on Facebook as well. So World of One has a page on Facebook. I'm also on Instagram. That might be my limitations for social media. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's good. Well, it's been delightful talking with you and you shared so much great information. Thank you so very much. Thank you so much for listening to Nourish and Shine. I hope that you enjoy this episode and that you'll leave me a review on iTunes so that more people can hear the podcast. I'd also love to connect with you on social media. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I would love to hear your questions, so please send them my way. Also, you can check out my website. It's amysapola.com. I hope that today's interview provided you with some inspiration and practical advice to nourish your mind, body, and spirit, optimize your health, and to live a whole vibrant life. Please join me again next week for another amazing interview. Have a wonderful week.